Hello, welcome to A Seat at the Table, a podcast bringing together feminism, dinner parties, music and food. I'm Alex, your host, the creator of Spare Ribs Club, an intersectional feminist book and supper club which explores feminism and social justice through literature, art, music and food. Each episode, I invite our guests to take us through their perfect feminist dinner party, three feminist icons as dinner guests, three courses and three tunes being played on repeat. This week, I'm very pleased to welcome Sunny Singh. Sunny is a writer, novelist and public intellectual and widely recognised as a champion for decolonisation and inclusion across all aspects of society. Her books include the highly acclaimed novel Hotel Arcadia, and a study of Amitabh Bakhtan for the BFI's Film Star series. Her essays, short stories and columns are published worldwide in key journals, anthologies and media outlets. Her latest book, A Bollywood State of Mind, will be published in October. In 2016, she launched the celebrated Jalak Prize for Literature by Writers of Colour, and she's also a founder of the Jalak Foundation that is focused on a range of literary, artistic and literacy initiatives in the UK and beyond. She is currently Professor of Creative Writing and Inclusion in the Arts at London Metropolitan University. Thank you so much, Sunny, for joining us today. Thank you. Um, I'm really delighted to be here. So thank you very much. Of course. So which three guests are you inviting over for your dream feminist dinner party? See, this is such a difficult question, isn't it? Um, because how do we decide um who's a good feminist or who's a feminist at all um and I think I battle with that um uh, constantly and I'm, I'm always um questioning mm. so in I kind of expanded your brief a little bit and I picked three of the women that I think have public careers so these are not women who I know I've ever met but who have left a really um important impact on my life in complex ways I, I would say so um the first one is and these may not be women who are familiar to many of your um listeners partly because they are all all from India and um I think in Britain there isn't a whole lot of um understanding and knowledge beyond the very small narrow confines of the imperial discourse so my first guest would be Lakshmi Sagal. She was a revolutionary of the Indian independence movement. She was um, an officer of the Indian National Army, which was a an armed resistance to the Raj. Um, she was part of that um, rebel government as the Minister of Women's Affairs. Um, and she's um, she's often called, you know referred to in India just as Captain Lakshmi because that was her rank when um, the British took her prisoner in um, Burma now Myanmar during the second Second World War. Um, so my ideas of her are always of this extremely um, delicate looking tiny woman, beautiful, um, but always in combat fatigues. Um, and I just I, I've, I've always kind of looked up to her, partly because I grew up in India. So and she was she then after after independence, she became a doctor. She was she was part of um, politics and um, she was part of the Communist Party of India, um, the Marxist Party. And she was a member of um, 
the upper house of parliament. So there's a lot of work she did and she continued to do um, all her life. And I, I really, really re respect that. The second person on my list, the second guest is possibly going to be extremely controversial. Um, and that would be Indira Gandhi, um, the former prime minister, the prime minister of uh, assassinated prime minister of India. Um, she served in two tranches from 1971 to 1984 and, and was responsible for quite a lot of changes for good and bad in, um, in Indian polity, Indian nation state, Indian social structures. But I think because she was prime minister from from so long, mm -hmm. from 1971, um, she pretty much is the political leader that I had while I was growing up. So it's always I always you know feel that you know you can't be it if you can't see it. And it was a strange moment to grow up in in India, where the the sort of the constant political leader, the prime minister, except for, for about two and a half years, was um, a woman. Um, and, you know, we can talk about the good and bad of her policies, and I don't agree with most of them, uh, or a lot of them, I can't say most of them, a lot of them. But um, she was just part of my imagination and worldview as it was being constructed as uh, as I was growing up. So that would be the second guest. And the third guest would be an actress, a, a star, and possibly a screen revolutionary, and a woman who explicitly has always called her herself or for, for many decades has identified as a feminist. Um, and that would be Zina Taman. And again, this is this is somebody who was a Bollywood star. She makes her debut round about the same time as Indira Gandhi becomes prime minister. And she's extremely modern and she's glamorous and she takes on roles um, which aren't supposed to be, you know, even imagined for Indian women. Um, it's her first movie is very much of, um, you know, her role is the, the bad girl and drug, sex and rock and roll. And I think that as a child, it was just extraordinary to look up and see this woman um, be this incredibly powerful being on screen and and the songs that she, she was part of. Um, and I think I just, I pretty much, decided very early on I wanted to be to grow up and be like her um for much of my life I dressed like her or inspired by her clothes I had hair like hers um and um and she had a very complex life because it she had a very public case um of um intimate partner abuse because obviously she was a star and it you know, it immediately hit the press. And um, and so in some ways, she was also my um, insight that violence and intimate partner violence um, would could reach all of us in, in, in a way that I had never thought. You know, as a child or a teenager, you, you have these ideas that, you know, you, women must be a certain way to have have somehow you know put themselves in a situation and I think 
Um, I do a lot of work and thinking around violence against women. And I think Zina Daman's um, role in that uh, as, as, you know, I was a teenager when this information came out and was all over the press and it was reported in these really horrible ways. Um, but it really stayed with me. And I think I always um, go back to Zenith, Zenith as um, believe women, believe women every time. So I think that would, those would be my three guests. <laughs> I mean, those are three kind of varied guests that you've chosen for quite different reasons. Do you think that they would get on in a dinner party setting? I do. So I think it's it's a really interesting um, process because um, I grew up in a strange way. I grew up in India. I then moved and my family lived in Pakistan and then in New York. And um, now, of course, in various other countries, there's about half a dozen or possibly more. Um, and now I live in London. And the one thing that has stayed a constant in my life is the role of extremely strong, powerful women, publicly or privately, um, who have always opened ways and paths and doors for me. They've welcomed their arms, you know, opened their arms to welcome me. Um, and I think these three women are very, very different. I mean, you know, in, in funnily enough, of course, Lakshmi Sagal and Indira Gandhi were both in politics and um, in the parliament, um, despite having very extremely different um, views of politics and, and ideas about politics. Um, but they but they worked together, right? They, they were still part of that same political structure. I think Zina Daman, again, is somebody who is extremely articulate, thoughtful, considered her politics are perhaps um, more obvious now, you know, many decades later, about a half century later, she's she's got it. She runs the most extraordinary Instagram account. She's joined Insta at the start of the year and has constantly, you know, has shares her ideas not about women and women's roles and um and very important, you know, what we now consider are somehow issues for today. Um, queer rights, trans rights, I mean, which are, you know, women's rights for to me, these are not separate umbrellas. These are these are part of the same same grouping. Um, and she's very much part of that. And I think they would, it's not that they would get along and go away being the best of friends, but I think they would be there at this dinner party, this historic, you know, traversing time and space dinner party, and create the most extraordinary insightful complex nuanced conversation um you know in my dream dream dinner party I would put the three together and just see where the conversation went so alongside the conversation what are your three tunes that will be on repeat oh this is really tough this was so tough because I love food so this was just 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 really hard. Um, so I decided um, to kind of go with an Indian food, Indian menu, mm -hmm. um, but a kind of a trans regional menu. Um, 
and I picked galotti kebabs with fresh shallots and tomatoes and daikon radish and lime salad alongside. Um, and galotti kebabs are really um, these special kebabs, which are from very close to my part of um, India, northern India. And what happens with these kebabs is that you not only tenderize the meat and mix it up with spices, all style traditionally in um, in sort of, you know, at homes, like I remember my, you know, my grandmother's idea of how to make this. The, it, the meat is then, you know, put it to marinate or rest in a hollowed out papaya. And what that means is that when it comes out, it's been soaked with all the papaya acid and not only has this amazing taste, but also has this absolutely satin smooth texture and it just melts in your mouth. Delicious. And I think that would go down very well with um, my guests. Um, if I remember correctly, I don't, as I said, I have no indication that any, either of the three, none of the three women were vegetarian. So I've made that decision. <laughs> my main would be a Malabar fish curry with the full accompaniments and that's uh the Malabar curry and the Malabar it's, it's it's a part of the western coast of India and the food is extraordinary and um it's something I really desperately miss um I know there are places I can get great good Malabar curry in 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 London but at the heart of my, you know, somewhere I sort of like, I need to be back on the coast to get it properly. So that would be my second coast, uh, course. And um, my dessert would be saffron and almond kheer. And I think kheer is the rice pudding. I don't think I need to explain this to anyone. But that is my favorite version because from the time I was a child, that's something that my grandmother would make. And uh would just love to have that of course my grandmother would also do something really interesting where she would cover the pot with muslin and she would put it out and this only happened one new moon night of the year um and she would put it out into onto these this hang it in this very precarious way in the night with, with this muslin covering because as per um the 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 sort of mythology that's the one day when um, there is this shower of Amrit, which is, I suppose, elixir or mana or however you want to, you know, translate that. It's this sort of the, this this drink of the gods, I suppose, um, that gives you everlasting life that rains down from from the sky. And she would have that outside the kir, and it was the best best kir we had at any time of the year so that would be my my dessert that's a, it's very precise yeah that's a lovely story though I mean I'd love to hear about the the kind of what are the accompaniments coming with the Malabar fish curry because I presume this is uh southern Indian fish curry on the yes. western coast as you say um, and I agree because I, I've uh, traveled around parts of India and um, we have very good North Indian food in London, but I don't think the Southern uh, Indian food is quite as great in London. <laughs> yeah. um, and I do think it's kind of slightly lacking. Uh, so tell me about the kind of accompaniments that come with the this fish curry. Oh, uh, gosh, what would I throw in there? There would obviously be some rice. There would be... Um, 
some sort of um, salads. There would be the yogurt, the the kind of raita. There would be the pickles. Um, I am going to be very naughty and and mix things around and say that what I would like for the bread would not be rice uh, would not be naan or puri or something that is the kind of more more well-known bread but something called nir dosa which is a kind of dosa which is it's rice flour but it's actually um i suppose the closest way to explain it it's poached in hot water mm. so it's extremely light it's it's poached rather than put on a on a griddle or you know a, um a frying pan and I can just, I love those. Um, even in India, um, outside um, particular areas, it's extremely difficult to find. Um, and I was, you know, I seek them out when I can. <laughs> Delicious. And are you drinking anything alongside your food? Kind of what's, what are the drinks that are on offer? What, yeah, well, I thought about it and I think I'm going to go with, um, and I kind of went, and and there's something that I love, and again, it isn't really easy to find in this country, or to, or to get it done well. But it's you probably if you've traveled in India, you've run into this all the time, and that would be <laughs> a fresh lime soda. Mm, yes, and people can decide that my guests can decide if they want to go with sweet and salty, or both, or a you know one of those two. <laughs> That's a good choice, and I'm where is this dinner party being held kind of is it in a hotter climate is it in India uh, or in your home in in the UK where is it being held yeah oh okay so um in the center of Delhi there's a place called the Lodi Gardens and these are very historic gardens dating back a few centuries um these are gorgeous spaces and they're well maintained but um, off and on for the last few decades, there is an attempt, and it always somehow falls apart after a few years, and then somebody else tries it, is um, is an area that that gets turned into a restaurant. Um, and so there's there's been, I think, for much of my life, you know, every X amount of time, this restaurant that sits inside the garden. And what's lovely about this place is, in its many iterations, is not just the food they would serve, but but the setting is beautiful because it's central of Delhi, but it's um open air, it's got beautiful gardens, it's got this amazing, they they have these tables that they dot around. So it's it's you know, it's very private, but at, at the same time you're in a place we're surrounded by um all these incredible plants and birds and but what I find really amazing is if you depending on when you go, um the flowers that are in bloom and the the scent of the flowers that are in bloom changes and I think for me that would be just the perfect setting because it's historic it's um somehow um it's delicate it's beautiful but there's a robustness to it there's um there's a kind of resilience to that and there's a kind of I like that particular space even though I think right now it's closed um the place that was running has, has shut down for the moment there's something something really wonderful about that return this this repeated attempt to to set something up that somehow falls apart <laughs> um in so many ways it feels like you know um 
as feminists, we constantly seem to be doing the same thing, we, which we every time there's a step forward, there's like two, three steps back, and we just keep at it. Um, and I think that's that's probably, you know, in many ways would be my my perfect location for this. I mean that I I I know, I know the Lodi Gardens and they're a kind of oasis in the middle of a very chaotic city. So I can imagine it being a beautiful place for a dinner party. Uh, and what are the three songs that are going to be kind of playing? Uh, oh, uh, I kind of decided that I would um, I would pick one song, kind of for each of my guests, and in different ways, these songs are linked to the guests. So um, the first one, and this one, I suppose, is linked to Captain Lakshmi, to Lakshmi Sagal, would be Ekla Cholore, which is, um, which is a song about walking alone and continuing to walk alone. Even if nobody supports you, you keep, keep you know, it's, it's, it's a song that was, um, it's original was in Bengali, it's, it's, um, it's been part of the revolutionary independence struggle. It's part, it's it's this song for Bangladesh. And it just feels like that is the appropriate song for Lakshmi Sagal. For Indira Gandhi, I picked um again, it's a song that is actually the lyrics are again from a major poet. Um, and it's Mudse Pahelisi Mohabbat, which is like, my love, don't ask me to love you the way I did before. And it's, a, it's, again, an extremely political song about somebody who adores their beloved and had thought that, you know, falling in love would make everything okay, um, but realizes that they cannot look away from the injustices that surround them. Um, and I think that is, that is appropriate for Indira Gandhi because she was you know, not only because of her biography, but she was um, many of her decisions, not the least the emergency, um, caused an immense amount of suffering. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it, it would be appropriate. And for Zina Daman, of course, fairly straightforward. Um, the song that I have uh, that I loved from the time I was a toddler from her first movie, and that's Hare Rama, Hare Krishna. Um, the song is basically asking you to take a hit and another hit, um, and the, the the screening of it is her with an immense bong, so smoking marijuana or hashish or um, something along those lines. And I appreciate that um, that sentiment, the sentiment of um, refusing to conform. Um, not I'm not condoning drug use, but I think what <laughs> is interesting is is that image and that song and it's 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 now 50 over 50 years old and that song will still is amazing you can turn it on and people who have never heard it before will go whoa what is that mm. so yeah those would be my my three on repeat <laughs> those are great choices and how does the evening kind of how do you see the evening going is it long into the night conversations uh, is it kind of, um, does it turn into more of a party? How do you see the evening going? I think I think I see the evening going with, um, is this precisely that, long into the night, lots of robust debate, 
far-reaching conversations, not just political, but cultural, um, in different ways. I mean, you know, um, all three of the women were extremely stylish. Mm. So I think there would definitely be, we would pass pass through fashion and um, aesthetics and all three of them in different ways. And, um, you know, I think there would be space for aesthetics and art and, um, you know, global conversations. I, I think all three of them, three of the guests I've chosen were, um, and in case of Zenith Amman, um, are extremely global and cosmopolitan and uh, well-read um and i think so i think the conversation would would hopefully continue far 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 into the night um i don't think i it would be a party um mm. but i wouldn't want it to be a party i think it would i would just want to soak in that that incredible amount of thinking and um insight and ideas that they all they all three have and had i mean it sounds like a kind of perfect evening to be honest with with delicious food fun music and some really stimulating conversation that that's the dream evening isn't it <laughs> exactly it's a perfect evening <laughs> and i was wondering while you were talking how, how does your personal feminism and your personal experiences as a an Indian woman affect your career as a writer? Well I think um I think I have been very clear from a very long time um my feminism feminism comes primarily um from my mother and my grandmother and um, I think it's important to think about. So I was born, you know, I was born in sixties, raised in certain, you know, through seventies. Um, and my mother was was a sort of an in child, a midnight child, so sort of an independence, one of the you know born right at the time of independence, and her mother before that, and my grandmother was, a, you know, very politically engaged. She was very involved at a local level in um, the independence and revolutionary movements. But at the same time, my family comes, is primarily rural. And so my grandparents' generation from both sides were the first to come out and live in the city uh, after a very long time. So there were, it was quite a long period. They were also the first generation to hold, um, you know, jobs rather than farming um the land so it's a it was a big shift um and I think they they both you know my grandmother especially my mum's mum had been vid widowed very early on and she had kids so she had a very clear sense of what it needed to be she insisted that all her kids and especially the women she was very very clear on not only were educated, but they went to university. It was an extremely difficult time after she was widowed to make sure that this could be done. Um, and my mother was extremely um, committed to the idea. And she, and she was, she said to me over and over again, she says, you know, I'm raising you not to be, I'm raising my daughters not to be the ones who, who are, you know, get married and have kids and, um, 
you know, do that normal thing. I want you to push the boundaries. And each time my sister and I have pushed those boundaries, um, she's been there 100% supportive. Um, I always think one of, I think her feminism is of a particular kind. And I always think it's quite sweet because she, or while we were growing up, she insisted that neither my sister or I would go into the kitchen. And she would say, if you need to learn to cook, you will do it on your own. It's not a major thing that you need to spend your time on. So neither one of us got into, were allowed into the kitchen. Um, but she taught my brother how to cook. Um, so the only one who can make food like her is my brother. Which is <laughs> kind of, you know, um, it's an interesting way to go about it. And I think, uh, and that again is something very important because, um, my mother um, and my grandmother in different ways were very clear that feminism was not just for the girls. Mm. It wasn't something, you know, my grandmother probably would never have used the word feminism. My mom will. And that's a generational thing. It's a language thing. But, you know, my mom was very clear that that feminism is something that is for everyone and definitely for the boys almost in some ways you know she's she's specific that you know my brother would be raised as a feminist um and yeah I think that is important and I think that impacts me very much that is something that I've always thought that you know yes we should be empowering women and that is our focus but we shouldn't just be talking to women it's the boys we need to to raise to be better um it's the boys who need to be taught that you know they have to be untaught that that toxic masculine way that that the patriarchy imposes on all of us um and I think so I think for me that is part of that daily process of um you know, trying to figure out how we cut across um and in some ways we rethink of what are the ways of being men and women um that are healthy and um regardless of where we are in the world there are very few men who have that option mm. um of being raised to be healthy human beings and your most recent book um is about bollywood and i i wonder your clearly kind of as a child and as a teenager would have been watching Bollywood and quite affected by that cultural um, experience. And, and what do you feel that feminism means within the context of Bollywood? Oh, that's a tough one. Partly because it's such a vast industry. Um, it's hundred, almost, you know, 120 years old, 110 years old. Um, it's produced you know we're, we're talking about tens of thousands of movies made over a century and it's a, it's a commercial cinema so you know there's a vast range of films um that are made but as i you know i start with dina Thaman as somebody who was for me completely um iconic and um a kind of somebody who who was completely different from anyone i knew um growing up in a small town in India but even before that I think my my book covers um a history of India starting sort of it's a modern history so um you know 
late 19th century on to now in some ways, drawing the through threads of not of the film industry, but also how it sits within po the politics and political changes of India and social changes of India, because um, a commercial industry to be film industry to be successful, they have to be able to move along the zeitgeist um, and in some ways form the zeitgeist. Um, I find it really interesting because there is an extremely progressive revolutionary strand that runs through um, Indian cinema, not just Bollywood, um, right from the beginning. And I think it's an explicitly post-colonial and in many cases anti-colonial cinema, which I think is also part of that. That also means that, you know, right from the beginning, they were um, filmmakers who were looking at issues around things like um, women's vote, but also things like um, the impact of sexually transmitted disease on, you know, on the woman who is stuck at home with a with a philandering husband. Um, there were films that were about, you know, that feature women in very specific um, roles of um, revolutionaries, of leaders. Um, there is, in fact, a very interesting film about Indira Gandhi made in the 70s. Um, and that is about sort of, you know, how does somebody manage, how does a woman balance um, political ambition and personal life? So for me, I think um, growing up, what was interesting was there were so many films and you know, as as all we all do, we curate our films. And when we're kids, you know, other adults do it for us. And I think I belong to a family that was quite um, politically aware. And that means that the films we watched were constantly, um, in some ways, reinforcing the complexity of the of women's position in the social structure and political structure. Um, and even when they may not have been explicitly feminist films, they were very much part of my development as a thinker and and um and a person because i could see all these varied ways that um women who looked like me and were part of you know my society behaved and what their experiences could be like um i do a lot of work and i think this is always something that that strikes me um now as and the older I get, I'm very grateful that I did not grow up in the global north. I was already a teenager when my family moved to New York. But my formative years were very much in South Asia. And what that did was I had a huge vast range of representations mm -hmm. of women in different spaces and women who look like me. And I think it would have been extremely hard. And I think it's still really hard for, um, you know, a, ch a child of color to grow up in Britain in 2023 because there isn't enough um, representation, definitely not that matches our the population numbers um, and percentages in any form of art or culture in this country. And it's not just South Asians, it's anybody who's minoritized. So I think in that sense, I I, I do feel that um, I, I got very lucky. I mean, speaking about kind of representation, I guess, um, is that for you something that 
comes into your activism around decolonization um, and the work that you do uh, on that? Um, well, so, so let's kind of break this up. I mean, represent representation is the smallest, perhaps tiniest first step mm -hmm. towards decolonization. Um, simply having our stories up there isn't isn't enough. Decolonization is a much larger project that will never end because, and it's not an you know there's not a sort of stage that of decolonized people or institutions um and that's because justice is an ever-expanding circle each time we will we reach a point there will be new rights new fights new um struggles that we will we will recognize only when we have reached a certain part of emancipation and liberation so it's for me representation is crucial because again, you can't be it if you can't see it. You know, how do you decide that you can be a hero? How do you decide you can be, um, you can desire that you can be desirable, you can that you can be strong, you know, all of these things that that's where representation matters because it provides a narrative, imaginative um first step of what is possible to us. Um, and I think that is that is necessary for anything further we go, we take. And those are choices we will make, you know, toward if we choose to go towards decolonization, if we choose to go towards emancipation, um, equality, justice, or we don't. But I think we can't do it unless we see it. Mm. And I mean, I always ask my guests one final question, and this kind of links to those small bits of activism this the smallest stuff that, you know um what are you doing on an everyday basis in a small way to become a better feminist either for yourself or for those around you oh that's really hard um because i think you know a feminist life is not something you do in bits and pieces <laughs> um so i think in meant you know everything i do possibly on a daily basis is is part of living a feminist life but I think um the one thing I have learned to do is to believe women mm. and believe every, you know women regardless of whether they are um speaking about somebody I admire somebody I think highly of somebody I go oh well they've, they've always been nice to me um because I think we don't do that um, despite, you know, years now of Me Too, um, you know, we have a whole series of news coming out this year um, in this country. Um, there is always this sense that, you know, somehow in this particular case, because it's a man that we like or we admire or whatever, the woman is lying. And I'm not saying there are not cases of false accusations but they are so tiny they are so minute we're looking at sort of a percent or maybe a little bit more um that to use that as a sort of out clause for not believing women who have to go through so many barriers and so much relived trauma and additional trauma when they speak up um that 
I don't understand how we could not. So I think for me, my feminism on a daily basis is to relieve women. Well, that's a wonderful sentiment to to leave on. Um, thank you so much, uh, Sunny. I, I had a wonderful time at your dinner party. I thought it was uh, a beautiful evening uh, with incredible food and great music uh, and obviously great guests. Um, uh, and thank you very much, Sunny, for joining us today. Thank you. That was really lovely. And I enjoyed that.